Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I am your host for today's podcast. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. The topic today is, uh, should I consider issuing equity to employees? And um, I think there are few decisions in business that are of greater importance and greater depth. Um, And um, I think many people take them take make that decision with such care maybe they even become paralyzed and they don't do something and i think frankly in other cases uh particularly in the tech sphere but not not always that way you you, you kind of see that decision taking lightly and you know there 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 are people handing out stock and options you know more frequently than you know handing out replica replica phases at comic con um and, and companies can sort of make or break themselves because when you when you invite somebody to become a co-shareholder with you in your company i think that that is about the most intimate relationship that there is in in business because once you make that commitment like a marital divorce uh, that is not something easy that is easily done or undone by uh you know hitting control z and just trying to trying to undo it and you know, I think in some cases there's a sense in, that in some businesses, again, in tech, software, biotech, you have to make other people shareholders. You have to issue options or even give them stock or you're just not going to go anyplace. There's an expectation on the part of venture capitalists you're going to make plans to do that. Um, others, you know, I think, correctly assess this this decision with a tremendous amount of caution because again, it's just it's not something that, that that's easy to do. And when when a, sh- a shareholder, even a relatively minor one, kind of goes broken arrow on you, it, um, it it's at a minimum it is spiritually painful, and often it is legally and uh, financially painful as well. Um, so you know, a topic of this gravity deserves a guess of the high deal of gravitas. And uh, I can think of nobody better to invite to help us work through this than my pal Scott Harris, who is a partner at Friend Hudak and Harris here in Atlanta, though he is joining us from their palatial uh, and so far, thank God, safe Napa Valley office. Uh, Scott's expertise is in business law and concentrates his practice on corporate, transactional licensing, intellectual property, merger and acquisition, joint venture and finance law. Uh, he helps find the right solutions to challenges and taking advantage of opportunities. He ensures that closely held businesses and their owners grow and succeed. 
and approaches his work differently in that regard. And, and like our podcast, actually, rather than just telling clients what they can and cannot do, he helps to find strategies to best accomplish their objectives. And, and as an aside, that's what a good lawyer tells you. That's what a good lawyer is when they're an advisor. They don't just tell you what you can't do, but they lay out a menu of options of, you know, here's here's what you could do and here's what the costs, benefits, risks, and and potential re- uh, returns are of, of doing so. He stands shoulder to shoulder as a client teammate. And based on solid judgment and decades of experience, he works to understand his clients' businesses and provides them with successful alternatives. He holds a bachelor's degree cum laude from Wake Forest University and his law degree with distinction from Emory University. During his off hours, Scott enjoys trail running and has a love for working with his hands, restoring American muscle cars and, and, and making furniture. And, um, you know, I've, I've known and worked with Scott for a long time and, uh, he's, he's a hell of an attorney, a hell of a business advisor. Scott, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for coming on. Well, thanks very much for, uh, for including me, Mike. And thanks for that, uh, that largely true introduction. <laughs> it's the internet. It doesn't have to all be true. <laughs> the rest we had filled in by a oh. Russian meme farm. Um, well, so, thank you very much anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so before I get into this, I have to ask you, what, what is the muscle car du jour? <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm between muscle cars, uh, which is, uh, which is a sad situation. Uh, but, the the last, uh, Three that I had uh, were all Chrysler products back when Chrysler was American-owned. Uh, they were 271 Plymouth Cudas and uh, a 73 Dodge Charger that I really uh, was owned by my daughter, uh, who followed in my footsteps of, of uh, spending a lot of time and, and money underneath cars as opposed to behind the wheel of cars. So... That's been the trajectory so far. Well, good for you. I have to come out there and get a ride with whatever the next mus- muscle car is that's coming down the line. Um, I'll let you know. Good. So, you know, I, I, you've worked with a lot of technology companies. Um, I'll bet you there's a lot you, you there's not a lot that you haven't seen yet. Um, but let, let's start off with a very basic discussion here because we want to help help our listeners work through this 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 question. You know, why do companies even consider issuing equity at all? I mean, it's it's an enormous pain in the neck. There's some risk. Why would a company even want to approach that discussion at all? Uh, well, that is the threshold question and a good place for us to start. So imagine yourself running a company and uh, employees number one, two, and three, potential employees number one, two, and three come to you. Uh, uh, as we've experienced uh, out here, uh, as a bit of an archetype for uh, technology companies. Um, they're very qualified people. They have long resumes, and you need to make yourself stand out among other people vying for their skills. Uh, your choices are you can pay them a lot of money, or being a startup, you may be a little bit cash-strapped. You may be self-funding at this point, uh, but you still would like to engage these people and attract them and retain them. You know, how else do you do that if you can't do it with money? Well, that's when stock and, and what we call synthetic stock uh, alternatives come in for employers. And uh, the most 
and easiest to understand examples of stock are, uh, hey, employee number one, love you to come to work for me. I don't have enough money to pay you your full salary. I'll pay you some salary and I'll just outright grant you X in equity of my company. And X is a percentage or it could be a number of shares, but it's a quote unquote chunk. That's an outright grant. Uh, to employee B, you might say, and you don't have to do these inconsistently between them, but I'm just giving other illustrations. To employee B, you might say, look, in lieu of getting giving you a chunk of stock right now, uh, I'd like to give you stock options or equity options to buy a set number of units of equity at a given time based on certain circumstances over a period. The most obvious examples of those or just a typical example of those would be four-year options, uh, vesting 25% of the total grant of exercisable equity units, uh, a quarter a year on each anniversary of the grant date. So, you come to work for me today, that's the same day that I give you these options. A year from now, you can buy 25% of the stock at a given price. Another year from now, you buy another 25%, et cetera, all the way to the fourth year. And the last example I'll give you is something called synthetic equity. We'll make that our third example of employee. And to that employee, we tell them, hey, uh, look, uh, I'd like you to come to work for me. I can't afford to pay you uh, the entire salary that you should demand somebody of your qualifications. But I'd like to give you, let's call them stock appreciation rights. We could also call them phantom stock, but we'll just use the general description of both of those. Uh, it's not stock. You're not going to end up with stock in my company, but you're going to end up with the economic benefits of having that stock, like the appreciation that you would see in stock price from today's grant till when you exercise these. Or in the event the company is sold, we're gonna calculate what you get as compensation as a bonus based on the sale price of equity, as if you own that equity. And the benefit there to the company is you don't actually have to deal with the headaches of issuing stock and the terms upon which it is held and having shareholder and or member agreements. Uh, but the employee has a lot of the same economic benefits as if they were a shareholder uh, without some of the downsides, including a voting stake in the company. So there are many ways to do it. I've just explained three different ways to do it. What are the benefits of doing that? Well, to the employer, one of the the primary benefits is in lieu of paying somebody cash, you're giving them these bonuses that are basically uh, in the form of, of stock or options or synthetic equity. You save cash. That's a major benefit, particularly to startup companies. Um, there are other incentives as well. It causes uh, employees often to think of their contributions to companies in terms of what does this do to entity valuation? Is my contribution making the company more valuable? 
or am I just getting a paycheck at the end of the day? Sometimes the alignment in economic incentives between employers and employees is crucial for those companies getting off the ground. And it puts everybody uh, largely on the same side of the, if the company benefits, I may benefit too, part of the ledger as opposed to the, the, the tension between, you know, management, just labor. Um, another plus for employers in using uh, equity and equity-like compensation is the ability to attract people you might not otherwise be able to uh, secure, um, especially in today's environment with 3% unemployment. Uh, it sure helps to have uh, equity, an equity kicker attraction to people that you're looking to hire and or maybe you know hire away from other engagements. Um, at least in the tech and in many other industries, it's, it's pretty much a standard, uh, and particularly with early stage uh, companies and, and initial key employees, uh, there are very few that operate without some sort of an equity incentive. Uh, and then, of course, the last, uh, and I wouldn't say it's the last, but it's the last one I'll cover today, uh, the last reason for companies doing this is uh, as compared with just giving somebody a paycheck twice a month or at the end of each month, uh, when you have ex equity compensation that vests over a period of time, the ability to uh, to enjoy more of that benefit vests over a longer period of time, you tend to incentivize retention of employees. Uh, I'm not going to leave this week uh, because at the end of the year, I've got a 25% vesting of my options that I would like to be entitled to. I'm going to hang out for a little bit longer. And then at the end of that year, somebody might think, you know, uh, I'll stay on another year because at the end of that year, I've got another chunk of this equity that's going to best with me, as opposed to the paycheck that you just cashed and spent on your muscle car that week. So uh, those are some of the incentives for the employers. Now, I'm sure, you know, the question I'm asked a lot, and I'm sure you get a lot too, when you're talking about this is a is a concern about giving up control. Um, you, know, you mentioned three different uh, approaches, um, equity options and synthetic equity. Um, what is What are the different implications in terms of having to share control with the people to whom you are making those grants? Well, um, let me try to be a, a little bit more concise in this answer than the the previous answer that I gave, uh, the difference between equity and non-equity or synthetic equity is, technically speaking, the synthetic equity, it's more of a bonus and it does not involve the issuing of stock or rights to purchase stock or equity. It's, it's really just a bonus that is tracked based on uh, equity value. That's the, that's the yardstick for it. So when you give it out, you're not giving up voting control and there's no voting aspect to it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, equity grants or options, those are either just the outright giving of stock or the outright giving of a right to buy stock in a future date based on certain conditions and at a given price. Uh, if you give away too much of that, you could give away 
uh, voting control in a company, but I've hardly ever seen that happen. And that's because uh, there are many ways to deal with the uh, the loss of control as a result of granting uh, equity options, equity-based options to uh, employees. One is you just make sure you don't give out enough of it to constitute a considerable percentage of voting equity. Another option is to give away non-voting equity, non-voting stock or membership interest if you're in an LLC. So it can do, it can be done both ways, but generally speaking, it, it's not a concern that you're going to be giving up control in a properly uh, constructed equity compensation plan. Now, for purpose of our discussion, because I think that's the nature of our listener base, um, companies that we're covering are privately held, uh, probably on the smaller side. So you know, if I'm an employee, why do I find these grants attractive? You know, it's, it's not like I can, I can go on my E-Trade account and sell them. In fact, even if I could do that, in many cases, the, the grant agreements themselves put you know, pretty heavy restrictions on the opportunity to sell. Um, why, do, why do employees find these, these instruments attractive in lieu of cash? Well, the bottom line answer is economic upside. Um, no, nobody ever became, at least that I'm aware, became a billionaire at Microsoft, Google, or Facebook uh, based on salary alone. It was mostly because of the ability to participate in the increase in value of the entity, a.k.a. stock or options or synthetic equity. So... Um, it has a quality all into itself, even though at the end of the day, it's all dollars. Uh, equity often is a multiple uh, potential upside rather than just typical bonuses or compensation. Um, they can also uh, have different, and uh, I, I will caution this by saying uh, you shouldn't take any uh, tax advice in the aggregate that is not based on a specific analysis of individual facts. Uh, so I will um, throw that out there as a, as a caveat to uh, anybody running off and doing something without proper advice. Uh, but generally speaking, equity can be taxed. Uh, the, the upside of equity uh, compensation uh, is taxed at times differently than just straight cash compensation. Sometimes it's subject to capital gains taxes, which are, uh, at least federally at a generally lower rate and in some states uh, as well. So it has a tax advantage uh, to some employees uh, over and above uh, the same amount of just general uh, cash compensation. And those are just a couple of reasons. Um, now, I, I associate these kinds of grants with some sort of technology company um, though that just may be the myopic world in which I live, um, do, do you see do you see grants of this nature in other industries with the same frequency, more frequency, less frequency, and 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 if it's more or less than tech, why do you think, or if it tech does indeed sort of lead in this regard, why do you think that is? Um, I guess I would say that you know these 
types of compensation arrangements can exist in, in virtually in any company, in any field. Uh, they do tend to be, you know, they, they become so popularized as a result of tech um, that I think a lot of people think that they're perhaps more prevalent in tech than other industries. I've, I've seen them across, you know, many industries. Uh, but I think they've just become a standard, uh, particularly in tech, biotech, uh, healthcare, uh, you know, healthcare startup industries. And we tend to associate them as, as maybe being more prevalent, although I don't have statistics on it. So, um, the question is, is, do they fit with your business plan and what you want to do to incentivize your employees, regardless of, of what companies you're in? Uh, I have clients in distribution businesses that have uh, employee equity participation. Uh, I've got a lot of clients, obviously, in the tech and, and biotech uh, sectors that, that do this almost all the time, invariably. Uh, but I can't say that it is, uh, I don't have any statistics, uh, although I would think that it is a, uh, a practice that has become so uh, standard in the tech industry and, and had more of a, uh, an effect on other industries as a result of that, don't have the numbers to back it up. Okay. So... Um is there a relationship between companies issuing some form of some form of equity to their to their um, employees, sorry, and their later on capacity to raise money? For example, I've I've actually heard sometimes in some cases there are some VCs that require an option pool to be put in place that they just don't believe they'll ever be able to retain talent. Uh, maybe there are instances where. VCs don't like a lot of options out there because they don't want to have a big shareholder base. Um, do you think there's a connection between sort of the capacity or attractiveness as a, as a company to raise money and their activity or their propensity to issue uh, equity in this regard? Uh, I do. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a direct and positive correlation, meaning that, uh, for the most part, in my experience, for my clients that I've dealt with and, and have had an exit in terms of a purchase by um, another entity, it's you know they've sold out, so to speak, in one form or another, either partially or, or wholly. Um, I think acquirers like to retain the attributes of a business that have caused it to be successful in the past. Uh, one of those, one of the largest contributors of which is the employees. Uh, they tend to see uh, equity compensation as the glue that holds a lot of, you know, talented people together uh, and, and tends to make them loyal to a given ent- a single given entity. So I think it's an attraction uh, for a lot of uh, companies that are acquired, especially you know, through venture funds. Um, and, of course, you see that because a lot of those funds give an incentive to uh, employees that have previously held options in a company to either roll those existing options into the acquired company and or to uh, also be uh, participants in uh, uh, stock plans uh, through key employees uh, in the acquired firm. So it, it's it's good as a retention pool 
in targets for uh, acquirers, and uh, so much so that they use them themselves often once they've acquired those entities. So um, have you found that one format or another seems to be more popular with employees? And, and to remind, we're talking about the choices between direct equity, synthetic, and options. Does, does one seem to be more popular than another, than the others? Um, I think options are, are more prevalent, um, and they have some attractions to employees. Um, uh, employees tend to like to think that they have some sort of voting control if it is uh, options for voting equity. Um, it's generally not enough to sway control one way or the other. Sometimes they like it. But you can have options in both you know, voting and unvoting shares. Uh, but I would say the advantage that options have is um, if, if done uh, a certain way, they're not taxable at the time of grant. And imagine if you're an employee not getting what you think you should be, what the market might bear if you were just getting paid in cash alone. Uh, the last thing you want to do is get uh, an option award and have to come out of pocket cash to pay the taxes on it. Uh, when you're really not getting that cash in as compensation anyway, provides a, a cash flow pinch for the employee. So uh, options uh, and some synthetic equity as well um, uh, can provide upon grant a non-taxable event to the employee. They don't have to come out of pocket money. Um, and they can time when they exercise their option and when there might be uh, a subsequent taxable event. So uh, a, a grant of stock, on the other hand, while, while nice, um, they're a little bit less prevalent. It's nice to get a chunk of stock. Uh, the difficulty for the employee is, is that's going to trigger uh, a taxable event to them. If the stock has value at the time it's granted, which we would hope it does. Uh, and again, sometimes that means, uh, well, in, in all instances, that generally means that that's going to come with a tax bill. Uh, that tends to be a disincentive uh, for a lot of employees, as I've seen it, uh, hence the preference for options or uh, synthetic equity that, that doesn't have that uh, tax bill that comes with receiving the grant before you've actually exercised anything. Yeah, direct equity grant reminds me of... Uh uh, of the scenario in which somebody wins a car on a game show, right? You're not really winning a car. You're winning a discount to buy the car from the U S government, basically, depending on what your tax rate is. Exactly the same situation here. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, the, the white elephant that you won that now you have to pay taxes on. Right. So um, let's say now that somebody is listening to this program and they're thinking, okay, well, I understand at a high level you know why it's desirable to sort of s spread some of the equity around and you know maybe we'll do it in one format or another. What do the administrative steps at a high level look like in order to actually execute uh, an equity or equity like instrument grant? Okay well um, they're very similar for stock grants and options. Um, Generally speaking, the company adopts a, an option plan or a grant plan. 
Uh, then secondly, they issue individual option grants to individual employees, like employee A, B, and C in our previous example. Uh, and that allows those people uh, the right to purchase uh, a given number of units at a set price at a time in the future under certain conditions. And then once those conditions are met, there's an eligibility uh, of vesting, so to speak, of the ability to purchase those options. And then they may or may not be purchased, you know, at that time or later. But that's kind of the way that uh, the the equity side of it works. The synthetic equity side of it, very similar. The company adopts a plan. Uh, it issues individual grants. Uh, they wait for the conditions for those grants exercise to occur. And then the employee is entitled to a bonus typically uh, without the need to pay for uh, purchasing stock or equity. Uh, they're entitled to that bonus payout when those conditions are met. So, um, you know, another question that, that I see come up a lot is, in particular, if I want to, if I'm interested in issuing options or some sort of synthetic instrument, uh, does that mean that I have to, my company has to have a certain corporate form, whether it's a C corp, S corp, LLC, something else? You know, d does that drive even whether it's possible, or does it change the mechanics of how such instruments might be issued? Uh, no, it really doesn't. Um, uh, we can make uh, the basic three flavors of entities that you see these days, uh, especially small entities um, when they're starting up, are corporations, uh, whether they're taxed as corporations or whether they're taxed as partnerships. Uh, we separate those into the categories of C-Corps, taxed as corporations or subchapter S corporations that are more tax-like partnerships. And then the other one is limited liability companies, LLCs. Uh, and long story short is uh, both equity and synthetic equity grants uh, can be done the same in each entity, uh, regardless of which one a company has at that time. Okay. Uh, so the good news is, is, were company form agnostic. <laughs> so uh, certainly Silicon Valley will appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to bring back a term that we don't hear as much anymore, interestingly, of late, at least I don't, maybe you do, which is uh, options backdating. And um, what is exactly options backdating, and, and is it a bad thing, and if so, Why? Uh, well, first of all, let's let's get a little bit of background on what we're talking about, so we can consider this question uh, with a little bit uh, more uh, understanding of how it comes about. Um, as I said before, uh, an option grant is the ability to purchase equity at a later date at a specified price. Um, generally speaking in order for those options not to be taxable to the employee at the time they're granted, the specified purchase price has to be equal to or greater than the prevailing price 
of the same equity at the time of the option grant. Now, let's unpack that. That's a whole lot of terms. Let's look at it this way. If I grant you the right to buy for $50 a unit of equity that is on the day that I grant you that right worth $100, it's really like me handing you a, a locked-in $50 per equity benefit. And that's generally compensation to the employee. And granting those types of options can also have tax consequences to the employer. So let's talk about backdating an option. So same situation, but I'm going to grant you this option to buy equity for $50. Today, let's say the stock is worth $100. But six months ago, the stock was worth $50. If I backdate this option to you and date it six months ago and give you the right to buy stock that at that time of the backdated grant is worth $50 or $50, those tax situations that we talked about both for the employer and the employee do not exist in theory. And therefore, the, share, the, the, the grants can be issued to you without those tax consequences. Well, that's mostly true, except for the part that the backdating uh, brings up other issues. And while backdating options is not per se illegal, it can be very problematic and it can bring uh, taxes and other legal considerations and complications to this situation when it's done. So is it good? Is it bad? Well, uh, people have different opinions on that. Obviously, the executives receiving grants kind of like having that, that locked-in benefit uh, to effectively have the right to buy something that is more valuable today for a price at a time when it was less valuable. Um, the flip side of that is other shareholders say, hey, that's kind of like taking money away from us, the other shareholder, uh, by giving somebody else the right to buy what today is more valuable. So opinions vary. Uh, if it's done, it needs to be done very carefully uh, or it can raise a whole host of problems that you wouldn't want to have. Now, a term you and I both hear uh, a lot, and it's a term that nobody likes, um, except for maybe some people like me, is the notion of what's called a 49A valuation. Um, and so can, can you explain to my listeners what – what 49A kind of is and means in the context of a stock option or potentially even a, a, a stock appreciation rights grant? Well, I'm not sure I can, but I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, it's a very complicated concept. Uh, you need to uh, figure out what it means to each individual based on the particulars of, of that person's situation. Uh, but let's try the 40,000-foot view. Uh, section 409A is a section of the Internal Revenue Code uh, that covers non-qualified deferred comp arrangements. Uh, so those would be both options and synthetic equity or stock appreciation rights, as an example. Okay, um, You either have a non-qualified deferred compensation plan under 409A that complies with 409A, 
or it doesn't comply. If it complies with 409A, you can avoid a lot of uh, unfavorable tax consequences. If you don't comply with 409A, you can be hit with a lot of punitive uh, taxes uh, that are really intended to be a disincentive to not qualify. So what's it take to qualify or not qualify, generally speaking? Um, well, uh, one of these has to do with one of the factors that we talked about before, which was whether or not whatever the exercise price is is equal to or higher than uh, the value of the equity on the date of grant. So in other words, is there that locked-in gain or is there no locked-in gain and therefore no incentive to exercise uh, the options on the day of grant, even if you could? Um, so in situations where uh, somebody issues uh, their stock not in uh, their options or their uh, synthetic equity grant not in compliance with 409A, as we talked about before, uh, there could be a pretty considerable tax burden uh, given to the company. So, um, you know. And to the recipient, the too. Issue, well, and to the recipient as well. That's right. It, it's a double whammy. It hits on both sides. Uh, so the question, you know, may be, well, should we uh, still issue these in spite of those disincentives? And uh, all I can say is it's a question that you need to deal with uh, specifically uh, under the conditions of your situation and those of uh, the, the grantee, the party, the employee holding the option right, uh, because you wouldn't want to step in anything. It could be expensive. Um, so let's say we, we've, we've, we've gone through the process of, of setting these things up administratively. We've, we've got it, we've got it, the, the tax aspect handled. We're working with a good CPA firm, a good law firm to get this thing handled. Um, you know, what happens if an employee, in spite of my best efforts to keep them and I've given them precious shares and options, you know, has, has the temerity to leave the company? What happens then typically? Well, uh, again, it depends on the terms of uh, their, their grant or their option or their uh, synthetic equity. Uh, some require that those be redeemed or exercised, uh, the ones that are vested uh, at the time of termination. Some give a period of time after termination for them to be exercised. Uh, some would cause those rights to go away. So it just depends on how the rights are constructed. So the key there, I think the key takeaway is, you know, think, think of this problem at the start. Don't think of it when it actually happens because at the outset you can and should kind of dictate what the outcome is if an employee leaves. In other words, there should be no, there should really no, be no uncertainty if those agreements are drawn up and structured correctly. Yes, and that's why one of the uh, first things uh, that is done in constructing these plans is to draft and adopt the plan at the corporate level. And then all of the awards 
granted under that plan or subject to it. And one of the terms that's typical in those plans is what happens upon termination and the ability to exercise and whether those uh, rights go away or not. Absolutely. And and it is uh, at least 10 times harder and more expensive to change things afterwards than it is to do it the way you need it to be done at the outset, right? You don't even want to go there. Right. You don't even want to go there. Right. Exactly. (laughs) The only people who benefit from that is you and me. (laughs) Well, as I say, have a plan, follow your plan. There you go. Um, So uh, you touched upon this before, but I don't think we gave a name to it. It's an important concept that I think we make sure that the listener understands, and that is you know, what, what is vesting and why is the notion of vesting typically part of the equity grant equation? Uh, retention is the one word answer. Um, the example of that was like the uh, example I gave earlier where somebody had one quarter of their entire grant uh, able to be exercised at the end of each one-year anniversary of their grant date, which may be their initial employment date. It may be a different date. Uh, that gives me, as an employee, the incentive to keep chasing after that carrot to stay employed, to stay eligible to exercise those grants in the chunks that become vested, uh, as opposed to just leaving the company which typically terminates the ability for any, any options to grant. So it's, it's the carrot on the end of the ever-extending stick. Uh, I get the first bite after a year, uh, maybe the second bite after two years, three and four, or whatever the term of the vesting is. Now, in my experience, typically – maybe typically is not the right word, but in my experience, much more often than not, these, the agreements that govern these equity grants have a provision that says something to the effect that if the, if the employee leaves the company that, um, you know, they'll either forfeit what they've got or they got to sell back to the company at a fairly punitive rate. And in some cases, and I think there's a good term, basically if, if we fire you for cause, you do something, you do something you know, really ass-hatted, you get yourself put in jail or do something that's going to hurt the company, right? Then you might just forfeit them outright. Um, do you see things that are similar in, in your world as well? Yeah. Um, you usually, the, the, the purpose of equity and equity-related compensation is to incentivize the, the behavior that you want in an employee that is valuable to the company. In the same respect, you'd like to disincentivize uh, behavior that is is harmful. Uh, One of the best ways to do that is to deal with uh, the repurchase of either stock that's already been uh, bought as a result of the exercise of options uh, or in the alternative uh, to terminate those options and the ability to participate and to exercise if if behavior is not what the company wants to incentivize. So, yes, okay. we see those, and we see differences in prices depending on uh, how parties might separate at the end of an employment term. 
All right, we are uh, getting close to our time limit, and I know you've still got an afternoon of, of stuff you've got to do as we're uh, wrapping up here on the East Coast. But um, uh, one of the last questions I have is, what happens to these grants when the company is sold? Okay. Uh, well, we touched on this uh, before, yep. um, and the answer is it depends on the plan. Uh, but typically speaking, one aspect of of option grants vesting is is pretty interesting, and let's cover that. Uh, imagine the situation where you know you're a four year employee, uh, and you're you know two years into your employment and in and your vesting of your option, and they turn around and they sell the company. Well, generally speaking, uh, absent any other provisions in the plan. Uh, you only got half of the stock that you were hoping to get, and they sold a little quote too early for your uh, for you to maximize your benefit. Uh, and that may not, you know, that may always weigh on you if you're an employee when you're worried about the company being sold. Uh, the way to alleviate that concern and something that many companies do is allow accelerated vesting of options. Uh, in the event of certain dispositions of the company, quote-unquote, selling out. And the reason to do that, obviously, is to align the interests of the employee, uh, no matter where they are in their vesting schedule, with uh, the control group of shareholders. Um, I get paid, you get paid, and you don't have to continue to serve out your employment term. Now, there can be exceptions to that. Some some people that acquire companies would like uh, options rolled in. They don't want them to necessarily accelerate uh, and allow an employee to, you know, cash out and walk away and start, you know, buying their next yacht. They may want them to stick around. But generally speaking, um, uh, the disposition of a company accelerates vesting so that an employee gets treated the same way with their full grants uh, and ability to exercise those at the same time the company is bought and essentially participate in a shareholder uh, in that disposition event, just like the rest of the shareholders do. All right. So uh, we're, we're running, running out the clock here. I, um, uh, we've covered a lot of ground. There's so much more to cover. There's, there's, there's really, we, we can't do it justice in the scope of a, of a 45 minute program, maybe a, a 45 credit hour program we could. But uh, I, I think that this is going to give the listeners a pretty good idea, at least of, of how to frame this discussion. If, uh, if somebody would like to reach out to you to talk about this more, maybe they're thinking about doing this with their own company and would like your help. Um, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, probably the best way to contact me is email. Uh, my email address is S Harris, no punctuation between that spaces, underscores, dashes, anything, just S Harris, all smushed together, H-A-R-R-I-S, at uh, FH2, the letter F like Frank, the letter H like Harry, then Arabic number two, looks like FH squared, dot com. I, I love that domain name, by the way. I mean, I, <laughs> um, I don't think I know anybody else with a three-character domain name that's awesome i gotta hear the story of how you did that at some point but um uh scott thank you so much for 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 doing this and uh you know i i learned something and i know our listeners did too it's a it's a very complex issue but 
at least this will give people a head start. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Scott Harris again so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.